Welcome to Kilts and Culture with USA Kilts. We're here to talk about all things Highland dress, the cultures and the heritage that created it, and how to enjoy the kilt in the 21st century. From tartan and trues to haggis and history, we cover it all. So sit back, grab your beverage of choice, and enjoy the show. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to another special edition episode of Kilts and Culture with USA Kilts with Mac, me, Rocky, and behind the board over there, Mr. Ian Anderson himself, um, one of our kilt makers. So today is the all kilt maker episode. So if you guys have specific questions about pleating kilts, anything like that, Today's the day to ask, because we got three people answering them. Um, you can also ask your, your normal questions as well. Now, the other special treat. We are still on COVID-19 lockdown. So, as as it is almost happy hour-ish somewhere, um, we're going to do another scotch tasting. Shocker, I know. Um, today, we are trying Smokehead. Uh, Isla Single Malt Scotch. Distilled and bottled in Scotland. Um, I'm assuming it's from Isla somewhere. Um, yeah, I saw this in the uh, in the liquor store, and you cannot pass up a scotch with a skull on it. It's like, like yeah. literally, it called to me. There was some kind of it's in a metal primordial. Too. Yeah, it's it's metal container, so it's got to be good. It it better be good. It's metal. It's like a Pringles can. It, well, you know, it's metal-esque. <laughs> it's, it's some kind of metal. Oh. Um, yeah, pretty pretty cool-looking marketing stuff. Um, it's got a smoky, coppery kind of, uh, not label, you know, paint on the tin. Um, and this, yeah, beautiful little skull. So, throw that down there. Now, pop this open. And yes, it does have a cork. We so, were we were joking around like if it didn't have a cork, I was gonna freak out because <laughs> it should have a cork. So it's in metal. It's it had yes. foil, metal, and a cork. Yes. Well, they all pretty much have foil, okay. um, except for like the twist off, you know, okay. screw cap kind of thing. All right. And to imbibe this beautiful, beautiful, it's smoky. It's smoky. I'll say that. <laughs> Scotch. We have the off-coveted, highly sought-after USA Kilts, Glencairn glasses. So I'm going to pour these, throw things around. <laughs> it's just what I do now. Just Usually I hand things to Eric. That's true. Like, Here, catch. Throw it so it goes out of screen and then exactly. back in. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do that now. All right, you ready? Yep. Nice. Give my breath mints back. Meow. Almost hit the mic. <laughs> no, I'm not throwing it to you. That's, there's too much stuff between us. All right. So, glass number one. Ian, if you would, come on over and collect and distribute the glasses. Nice, healthy pour. Coraline, this is my sixth or seventh scotch today. I'm not sure which. So you'll be now. Actually, I've had about four cups of coffee. Um, here. These are healthy. <laughs> there you go. Mr. Mac, I'll have you come collect yours. Yes. And he's back. And now back in. Exactly. 
Yeah, I get myself cool as well. A little bit of water to open it up, as I have been instructed by the uh, the, the Scotch master, Bill Reed, um, or at least friend who drinks Scotch. <laughs> so I have I have not had a drop of alcohol yet today. That being said, I have been up since 3:30 a.m. I have about 300 or 350 miles under my belt, and I'm on my fourth cup of coffee. Yes. So I'm highly caffeinated, sleep-deprived, <laughs> so it's going to be a show, guys. So do you have a CB handle yet since you're doing all, all the trucking? <laughs> <laughs> Eagle eye. <laughs> all right. Take a little whiff. Ian. All right, Mac, what do you think of the smell? I think it's a lot smokier than, than some of the other ones we've had. I, I will say this. Um, the, the, common, the common thing that people say about Laphroaig is it smells like a Band-Aid. This smells like a Band-Aid. Like that plasticky, medicinal okay. kind of... Yeah, like more than Laphroaig almost to me. It's very, very, very smoky. Yeah, yeah. I'd agree. Well, yeah, it's, it's called smokehead, so you kind of <laughs> assume it to be smoky. It does have a little bit more of like a hot alcoholic burn than um, a Laphroaig does. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> this did, is smoky. <laughs> Max over there coughing. Did, did Jason Dude. just put this in his smoker? I know. Like, this... It would go good with the with the beef brisket that we just got the, mm -hmm. the barbecue beef brisket. Yeah, this is uh, wow. There's a lot of smoke. This is almost. It's like drinking liquid smoke. It's like the morning after you've been drinking, and you find that one glass with a cigarette butt in it <laughs> and you don't notice it and you take a drink it, it tastes like like smoke and ashes like it's 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 too much yeah and I think I'm it, saying this I think overall it's it's a little bit smoother than most of the ones we've had like I don't I don't feel there's not that little bite or yeah. that little yeah yeah it's it, it seems very it's just smoke Like, there's an initial spike at the back, and then it, like, mellows out real quick. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a kick to the tonsils. Um, Ian, how do you feel about it so far? Yeah, I don't like it as much as I like uh, a Laphroaig or, um, uh, or some of those other ones. It's got too much of a hot alcoholic burn. I like a more balanced yeah, flavor, it is, but it's not bad. It I is, have no major objections. It is, yeah, very, very... Balanced or lack of balance is probably a good place to start on this. It is very unbalanced. I mean, it is it is straight smoke and not not a lot of like honey. I don't taste anything no. else. There's no honey. There's no chocolate notes. There's no vanilla. You know, there's there's nothing it's else. Just it's the like note of smoke. Yeah, it's like <laughs> if you'd like some some smoke and you're rubbing alcohol, try Smokehead. Yeah. <laughs> What's so. Uh, I, I would say though that is kind of what you're going for. If you if you bought this and are upset at how smoky it is, I, I think that's a, <laughs> yeah. that's a buyer issue. All right, not here, a here's, issue. here's the uh, yeah. Let's, let's, 
Damn their their marketing and their beautiful skull. Um, <clears throat> here's their 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 shtick on the back of the bottle. Intensely rich, yet certainly sweet. Oh no, excuse me, subtly. I don't have my glasses on. Smokehead embodies a wild spirit and appeals to those with an appreciation for heavy, earthy peat. Uh, with, in, with immense smoke and notes of sea salt and spice, it's a vigorous whiskey that stands out from the crowd. Stands out. <laughs> the I, I get the... I, I have the, a little bit of the peat, like the, the dryness of my mouth would indicate the peat. It's like kind of a... It's... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's not, like, lingering. Um, but yeah, the, the flavor isn't really lingering for me no, too much. It, I think just the flavor is just smoke. There's not... There's nothing else really... Like, the other ones, we've been able to taste hints of other things. This is just flat out. Yeah. Like, Lafroig and, and Lagavulin and Ardbeg, all the Isla Scotches that I've had are... Are a very balanced. They are ba well balanced, some more than others. Um, but it's a very balanced thing. And then there's like, there's still a strong peaty, smoky taste to it. But it's balanced with other things, and it's not overpowering. This is. Has anybody else that you've seen Ian uh, had had this at all? That there are any comments on it? Uh, a lot of people are. A lot of people are asking about what Isla comes from, but I haven't seen anybody specifically comment with their thoughts on this okay. brand. It's an Isla Scotch. So the island of Isla, um, it's on the lower left corner, lower left coast of Scotland. Um, it doesn't say anything specific. It, it's not its own distillery. So it says single malt. So I don't know who does it for them. I don't know enough about, um, let's see, imported by Keeper's Quest, Inc. in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It is smokehead.com is their... Uh, is their web address. So I guess check that out. Yeah. Um, and we do have a question about the scotch here from Chris on Facebook. He wants to know, is it a PD iodine flavor or is it just smoke? It's smoke and a little bit, a little bit of iodine, which is the, yeah. like the Band-Aid kind of smell to it. Um, Overall, the, the, the main note is just smoke. Yeah, and it's very like, it's like drying out my mouth. Um, with the earthiness, it kind of, it tastes like a little bit of dirt and smoke. It's giving me indigestion a bit. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm disappointed. <laughs> we still got that bottle of log. Oh, no, the, the full one's in my office. <laughs> we need to, we need to have a break mid-show and go get something to wash this down with. The little, the little timer up. It's like, me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think we've uh, said all about pretty much all we have to say about this, I think. That's um, all I've got to say. Yeah, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Jenny, what would you rate this scotch? <laughs> um, Mr. Ian, what yes. would you rate Smokehead? Smokehead? Scale of 1 to 10. Use decimals if you like. Um, get professional. You got to get in there. Yeah, yeah. I would say... We'll say like a 3.4. Like, this is something that I, I like well enough. I'd rather purchase a Lefroig, to be honest. Um... But I would, I probably wouldn't go out of my way to buy this in the future. But I, Here, I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn it down. Let me, let me, let me set this. Here's our scale: mm -hmm. two or less. You would politely refuse mm. if it were offered to you. Eight or above. 
you would drive somewhere specifically to get it. Okay. Seven. I'm on a five-point scale here. Okay. No, no, no. It's one to ten. Yeah. Okay. Seven is, it's it's pretty good. It's it's above average. Five is it's average. You know, that's that's your basis. Yeah. Now, with that in mind, what would you rate it? I'd go more like six point one. Six point one. Yeah. Okay. Again, handed to me. I'd gladly accept it. I'll drink it. I'm not going to go out of my way to purchase it though. Okay. But yeah. Interesting, Mac. I think out of all the ones we've tasted, I think this is towards the very towards the bottom of, of my list. I don't think this is the the bottom. There's one we had a while ago. I'll give you some cheap scotch. So that'll be at the bottom. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm McClellan's. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go four point one. Four point one. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to wrap my head around it and give it like a, an honest score, but it's like it's it's so far over the rainbow. It's like yeah. there there's the there's the curve for 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 bold flavor and peaty and smoky, and it kind of crests for me at about Lagavulin, and, <laughs> and then apparently it quickly drops <laughs> way the hell off. Um, this may come as a shock. And I think my tastes have evolved a little bit in scotch. Because with, with the Bill Reed scotch tasting thing we did, I, I started digging some 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 more subtle ones. Um, 3.8. Like, it's low. I, it's it's too much. It is, it is far too much. Um, I should expect that with a name like Smokehead. Um, it, I don't quite look like that just yet. <laughs> But uh, if I drank a whole or two or three of these, I might. Um, but yeah, it's three eight. It's, it's wouldn't recommend it. It's too much. If you like smoke and peat and you want to be kicked in the tonsils, have at it. Give it a shot. Mm. If you do not like Isla scotches or you're meh, okay on some of them, don't get this. You will not like it. You're gonna waste your money. I I have no idea what it costs either. I forget. I bought this and like. 12 others at the same time so that's about it mm-hmm. so uh a a passable from ian and a below average and a definitely below average from mac and i mm-hmm. very good all right that's it for smokehead <laughs> i'm gonna pour it out now i'm just kidding i would never pour out scotch um all right boys and girls please load in your questions if you haven't already Ask us anything you want. If you didn't catch the first couple seconds of the show, we are running an all-kiltmaker show, me, Mac, and Ian. So if you have questions about pleating, how to do certain things when you're making a kilt, what's which style would look best for this kilt, whatever, ask it in the comments. We're going to start off with Mac from some of our preloaded questions from days and, at this point, years gone by, <laughs> Yeah, as well as a few new ones. All right. We'll, uh, we'll start with this one. Um, it's from Bones. Um, bones going with you know smokehead and it has a skull on it so start with bones well I guess we should start somewhere else first the question that a lot of people are going to ask oh you reminding me of that go ahead what tartan are we wearing what tartan are we wearing Ian what tartan are you wearing today back there I know Christopher Hills is in the comment section here he'll be quite glad to hear that I'm wearing my Robertson hunting weather tartan lovely lovely to hear Mr. Mac. I've got the uh, Stort Hunting Ancient <clears throat> today. 
Very nice. Which yeah. mill? This is Strathmore. I was just about to say, I think it's Strathmore, just based mm -hmm. on the colors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I am rocking the Steward of Appen Red Muted. Um, it is a, uh, yeah, I really like this one. It's one of my uh, wife's family tartans. And uh, yeah, I dig on it. So that answers that. Now. Now to Bones. On, on to Bones and his, his burning missive. He's at wondering, has anyone ever made a kilt from flannel? Has anyone ever made a kilt from flannel? Have they? Yes. <laughs> Have they done it well? No. Um, the the issue with, with making a kilt from flannel is basically the fibers themselves. Uh, the material, you know, flannel, would actually grab itself as it kind of rubs back and forth, so there would not be any proper swing to the kilt, um, and it would it just wouldn't really lay right. I would even kind of be concerned about the the two aprons, the front apron and the under apron, on top of each other and like pulling weird off to one side or whatever. I mean, even working with flannel for historic garments, the, the just the the sponginess of it is going to be. You're not going to get a crisp edge on it as you would with some of the other stuff, uh, like with wool or, or PV. Uh, yeah, it just it's going to it's going to cling on, like you said, it's going to cling on to itself. Cling on. Cling on <laughs> to itself. I just heard that as I said. It. <laughs> That was not a Borging answer, Mac. Oh, that's horrible. Too much coffee, I'm telling you. <laughs> Ian, would you ever make a kilt from flannel? Uh, I would not. I think that would be a bit too floppy. What about a, like, a pajama kilt? Would you wear a pajama kilt? Except ghillie footies? trying to make me angry? <laughs> <laughs> the, um... I'm going to expound. Pajama kilt. Good idea? Not a good idea. Does it have footies or not? Is it like a, is it like a, like a big one? No, no. A regular kilt for lounging around the house slash pajamas. No, I'd, at that point, I'd rather have a... Uh, uh, if I'm wearing a, a kilt that's lounge around in, just a regular casual. I think I think you're still going to... You're going to get up from laying on the couch or, or sitting in your... Your recline chair, you're gonna get, you're gonna get that all smushiness, and it's just gonna be, you're gonna have more of a tutu on by the time you're done than a kilt, right? Um, I would, I'm gonna give an unpopular answer. I wouldn't wear a pajama kilt, nor would I wear a lounge around the house kilt. To me, now in fairness, to me, with green eggs or ham. <laughs> <coughs> To me, lounging around the house consists of laying down on the couch. Um, and a, a kilt is not conducive to laying down in. No. Because you end up with stuff, you know, underneath you, so it's never going to lay, like, flat. Mm -hmm. If I'm just lounging, like, when I get home from work, I'll put on a pair of, uh, like, loose-fitting shorts and a T-shirt um, yep. to lounge in versus a kilt from an aspect of it's going to be too... Yeah, it's going to, like, bunch up underneath me as I'm, like, you know, rooching around on the couch. Or if I want to, you know, turn over and, you know, pass out and take a nap. Well, like, we wear our kilts for War One reenacting, and we're going back to the bunker and bedding down for the night. A lot of guys will wear their kilt, will keep their kilt on when they're sleeping in, in the That'll in keep the them warm. Rack. Yeah. Keep them warm. Usually what I do is I take it off and use it as a blanket. Run it, open it up vertically. I've so done that. it goes all the way across. So it, it yep. creates a nice blanket. Yeah. Um... 
but there we're also getting we're also getting the straps and buckles caught in the, in the, the chicken wire that is our uh, that our rack too. But uh, um, yeah, yeah, just <coughs> laying down in it is not not ideal. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so no to flannel, no to pajama kilts. Good to know. Mm-hmm. All right, Mr. Ian, do we have any questions from the audience? And are you aware of the duck signal? Yes. Got it. Awesome. Um, let's go ahead and start with an easy one. From before Con- before you ask it, I'm now going to have to explain to everyone out <laughs> Say there. Everyone out there is like, what, what the hell is he talking about <laughs> with the duck thing? <clears throat> we have a little rubber ducky. Um, okay. I don't know where we got it. I don't know why we have it. But we have a rubber ducky. And if we have questions from the audience, we move that into my field of view. And if we don't, we remove it from my field of view. That's why I just asked Ian about his rubber ducky. He's the one. (laughs) He makes bath time lots of fun. Now, the question, Mr. Ian. Yes, I've got a question here from Chris on Facebook. He wants to know if a five-yard Wallace would look good kilted to the stripe. Pleated to the stripe. Okay. Wallace, yes. Um, <clears throat> there is a very, very simple trick um, that I have termed my Christmas tree trick. The way, when you put up lights on a Christmas tree, the way you can tell where you are missing lights and where you have too many lights is you just turn down the lights, well, the, the overhead lights, and you squint at the tree. And you'll see where there's holes in the lights and where there's too many lights. Do the same thing for tartan. If you're looking at a tartan and you squint at it and something individual jumps out at you, then yes, it would look good pleated to that stripe. If nothing really jumps out when you're squinting at it, it all kind of either blends in together or it all stands out equally, then I would say it's probably better pleated to the set. Every kilt will look good pleated to the set. Not every kilt looks good pleated to the stripe. With Wallace, you have that yellow stripe. So it will look good pleated to that stripe because it's a, a bold stripe that stands out on a, a wide field of, of black. Is it black mm-hmm. that stands out? No, is it? So on the did you say hunting or or red? Uh, hunting. The Wallace, was it Wallace hunting or Wallace red? Just said Wallace. Okay, there's Wallace hunting and Wallace red. So green or red, and it's the is the black is the yellow on the black or the red? Yellow's on the black. Yeah, yellow's on the black exactly. And the, the black is on the red. Yes. Yeah, got it. So, now that we had that straightened out, um, yes, it would look great pleated to the yellow stripe because there's a wide section of black on either side of it. So when you're pleating it, you're not, like, getting grabbing a little bit of color or a little bit of color on the other side where it ends up disappearing in the tapering up to the hips. So, yes, it would look good pleated to the yellow stripe. The only thing I would say to that is, depending on the mill, the set size. The set size is... For Wallace or for anything? For Wallace. If you're if depending on what mill it comes from, set size may vary. So if your set size is nine inches, which I don't think any of them are that big on Wallace, then pleating it to the stripe was gonna make your, your pleats wider if you're going to, to the stripe. Versus if you're pleating it to a reverse set or something on those lines where now you're pleating to look like the actual set of the tartan. So then your pleats are gonna be a little bit smaller because you're using up Going a less uh, shorter distance, um, but yeah, I think it just it depends on more on that spectrum of, of how big the set is. I'm going to put you on the spot now. 
Okay. Reverse set? What do you mean by reverse set, Mac? What the heck is the reverse set? <laughs> you know, this is kind of like a duck thing. Just We'll just skip over it and see if anybody notices. <laughs> do you want to try to explain it, or do you want me to? Um... <clears throat> it's kind of our term. We made it, it up. It is, well, yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. Other kilt makers may use it, but we call it reverse set. Cheating the set is another way to say it. Um, yeah, you're you're basically making it look like the actual pattern, but you're going backwards. So instead of pleating it, so instead of going for, like, let's say this is an orange stripe, and then a black section, and then a red section, we're making up colors now, um, making up sections, but... You would instead of going advancing this way with it, you're coming backwards on it. That made it about as clear as mud, didn't it? I would give that answer a 2.6. The um, may I go ahead? Thank you. You got it. Um, pleating to the set, or let's start with this pleating to the stripe. When you pleat a tartan to the stripe, you're taking a generally one of the pivots, um, a, a, a bold vertical stripe, and you take that section of fabric and you line it up with that next section of fabric. So it's right next to it. That way you have a stripe running down the center of every single pleat. To pleat it to the set, you take that stripe and you actually overlap that next stripe. So if you peek underneath the pleat, you're actually overlapping that exact stripe. Now, what Mac is talking about, pleating to the reverse set, cheating the set, whatever you want to call it, you're actually, instead of going over top of or pleating to, like, instead of going from this stripe over top of the next stripe, or instead of going from this stripe next to that stripe, you're going from this stripe to just before the next stripe. And you're actually moving backwards on the pattern. But when you add it all up, you try to make it look like the pattern. Is that a yeah reasonable explanation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You heard it here, folks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Also, the answer to, she loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. She loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed. Mr. Ian, deliver us from this fresh Beatles hell. <laughs> so let me give you one more easy one before we get into some harder questions. So from Dan on Facebook, Rocky, you'll love this question. If Joe Exotic were to wear a kilt, which tartan would it be? Right, Loud then. McLeod. Loud McLeod to match that, that bleach blonde god-awful mullet that man has. I was going to go Barclay. Similar, yes. I was, that's where I went. Yellow, right. yellow yeah. and black with a red stripe. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. same thing. Um, yeah, he'd wear Loud McLeod. He is an attention whore. He would absolutely <laughs> wear Loud McLeod. Mm-hmm. And not just a Loud McLeod kilt. I mean, vest on the bias, regulation, oh, yeah. doublet. He would go all out. The bee's knees. Tiger Sporn? Tiger Pelt Sporn. From one of the tigers he illegally shot. Oh, spoilers! Sorry. Spoiler alert. From one of the tigers he shot and got locked up for. There you go. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Not made by USA Kilts. <laughs> Mr. Mac, give me one of the questions. So we have Bernard asking, if you have to cut a kilt at the bottom in order to shorten it, would it automat would you automatically hem it, or is there anything wrong with leaving it uh, as a fringe? Ian, what do you think of this one? Would you would you cut a kilt 
on the bottom to hem it and or leave a fringe um, on the bottom. It's better not to, but I'm assuming we're talking about a situation where somebody's inherited or otherwise acquired a kilt after the fact. Um, if you were going to, you'd pretty much have to hem it. Leaving a fringed bottom, especially one that is cut, would would damage over time and it wouldn't hold up well to washings and things like that. Okay. I love the little poof of hair that you have on the top as well. <laughs> that is, that's much better. Thank you. That was It was just delicious. Um, <laughs> Mr. Mac. <laughs> Give him another scotch. Not this one. <laughs> yeah, I, I echo a lot of what Ian's saying there. As far as um, as far as you don't want to cut it because you're gonna you're gonna get that that fringe that's gonna it's gonna keep fraying out um, unless you want to do a whip stitch down the whole thing or a blanket stitch on the whole bottom, which then would stand out even more. Um, yeah, you, you, uh, you'd have to hem it. At, and the, at the only thing then you would be my concern would be how long the fell is. Because um, if, if it's a longer kilt and you're shortening it, that means that your much, fell yeah. was, was longer. So now, instead of the pleats ending at a particular spot, for you, they may now ha- make it longer, and now it may not have the swing that you originally had to begin with. The fell, for those who don't know is the sewn down upper portion of the kilt. So basically from the waistband to the widest part of your rear end, the sewn down section. What Mac is alluding to is that if you have somebody who is, let's say, six foot five, um, you're going to have a nine or nine and a half inch fell. And then if you that person passes off the kilt to somebody who is five foot eight, they're going to need to hem the kilt because it's going to be too long. The problem is the fell, the distance that it's sewn down, is meant for someone who's taller. Now, when you put it on someone who's shorter, it's going to go down past the widest part of the rear end. The reason that's a problem, when you sit down in a kilt, you're, you're making your body fat and muscle move in different directions. So, basically, you're putting too much pressure on the lower on the bottom part of the fell, and what you're going to end up with is a split seam where it's going to pop, and you're going to have kind of a V, one pleat that I, you know, the whole stitching splits and it goes up to the top. Um, so that's what Max referring to. Would I ever cut a kilt and hem it from the bottom? No, I would just hem it. Um, a traditional kilt has a either a tuck-in selvage or a or a, you know a was woven on a dob cross loom so it's a traditional kilting selvage so there's no reason to cut it and hem it if you were going to just cut it cuz you didn't know how to hem and it's it's a cheap kilt and you didn't care about the the over overlock stitching at the bottom then fine but if you're going to actually hem a kilt you might as well hem the freaking kilt not just cut it um would I, do I see a problem with just cutting it and letting it fringe at the bottom, yeah, it's going to kind of, it's not going to unravel because um, it's not knit, but it will kind of just get ratty at the bottom over time. So I would I would absolutely, if you have to shorten it, A, the right way to shorten it is to actually shorten it from the top um, and cut it off and you know do a whole lot of construction, which also you know incurs a lot of money. The easiest way to do it is to just hem it at the bottom with a blind stitch so that you have a two-inch or so hem. Um, and I wouldn't cut it unless you had to. If you had to hem it like five inches, which is 
a, a, a crazy amount to him, then then maybe, yes, you, you put it through a, a serger or an overlock machine and you actually cut off and then you, you have stitches wrapped around the edge so it doesn't fringe and then you hem it up two inches or so is about the ideal. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just let it fringed at the bottom. Yeah, and, and when Rocky was saying about the uh, the blind stitcher, that's just going to grab a couple threads. So on the front, you'll see very teeny tiny ticks uh, of uh, a thread that's pulled through that's holding that up uh, versus top stitching it, which you would see a line all straight across. Yep. Good to know. Mm-hmm. That's where the... the yeah, that's know. the more you know. And it goes up <laughs> this way, I believe. Or actually, it doesn't go in a rainbow. It goes like kind of straight up it's and off. On an angle. Indeed. Um, <clears throat> a blind stitch machine, for those of you who don't know, since we have the old Kilt Maker episode, mm-hmm. um, what that does is it has a curved needle. And it can actually, you set the depth of that curved needle. So it, it goes through the top layer of fabric and just barely grabs one thread on the, the face of the fabric, which is facing down. Um, so that way when you turn it over, you don't really see any line of stitching going straight down, but you end up with little tiny tick marks about every centimeter mm-hmm. down the cloth. Um, and when you iron it from the backside, you iron it flat, those kind of disappear or dissipate at least. Um, that's what a blind stitch machine does. And that allows you to hem a kilt without having a, a full line of stitching right down the very bottom or, you know, an inch or two inches up from the bottom. Um, right on the face of the fabric. Mm-hmm. Now, the more you know. <laughs> All right. Mr. Mac? No, wait, did you ask the last yep, one? I did. All right, Ian. All right. I'm going to give you a little bit more challenging of a question this time. We've got Andrew joining us on Twitch. Are there any major differences between the quality of kilts offered by different kilt makers, such as USA Kilts and Kinlock Anderson? Is it merely the difference in name and royal warrants? I will, I will, I will say a few things. I'm going to go, I'm going to have a little story with this as well. There is a, uh, uh, first I'll go to my answer, then I'll give my story. The, yes, every kilt maker makes kilts differently. The quality of the kilt is, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So what, you think of as a quality kilt is not what someone else thinks of as a quality kilt. When I talk about a hand-sewn kilt versus machine-sewn, they may be more equal than you think because I have seen very, very, very well-made hand-sewn kilts coming out of Scotland, and I've seen very, very poorly made hand-sewn kilts. There's a wide disparity between uh, of qualities coming from some companies and other companies. In the same way, there is a wide disparity of, of quality coming from machine-sewn companies. Whether it's top-stitched, whether it's sewn inside-out, depends on what they do on the inside of the fabric, whether they use a blind-stitch machine, whether they hand-sew things, whether they skip steps altogether. There is a difference in quality from manufacturer to manufacturer. No two people make kilts the same way. Now, as a company, we do not speak negatively about competitors. So I am not going to say that Ours are better than company X or company Y. They are, but (laughs) I'm not going to go too much into it. I'm not going to name names. I will not name names. Um, But there are differences. Yes. It boils down to what differences you appreciate versus really don't care about. 
I'll, I'll use our own company as an example for two things. We actually have, in our 8-yard wool kilt, we have a premier 8-yard wool kilt and a top-stitched. In the premier, we actually sew the cloth inside out. So we take the good side of the fabric and the good side, put it face-to-face, -face, pin it a bunch of times right down, sew that line on the, on the bad side of the fabric, and then open it up and make sure all of the, the horizontal lines running down the fabric you know, are exactly in, in alignment. That takes a lot of time. We also came out with what we call our top-stitched eight-yard wool kilt, which is we actually sew right on the surface of the fabric. It saves amount of time. It saves a good amount of time in creating a kilt. Some people do not want to see the stitching and will say, nope, I have to have the premier eight-yard kilt. That's it. I want that one. That's the best one. Other people will say, well, I don't care. You use the same color thread that's in the kilt, so it doesn't really matter. I'm going to save 75 bucks, 100 bucks, and I'm going to get the top stitch kilt. So it really boils down to you. Do you see the value in kilts made a specific way from a specific manufacturer, or do you think it's meh, it's close enough? <clears throat> Specifically, now some companies have more of a history, more of a name to them, and in certain cases, there is a certain uh, uh, price tag associated with that. I will, I will use this example. We had a customer come into our store, a an existing customer, a uh, friend of ours from down in Philadelphia, and he bought a jacket and vest for a specific event he was going to. And he was talking to me, and he said, yeah, I'm going to buy a Sporin from Kinlock Anderson. And I'm not trying to beat up on Kinlock Anderson. So just take this with a grain of salt. <clears throat> so I said, oh, that's awesome. Show me what the Sporin looks like. So we pulled it up on their website. I took a look at it and said, oh, that's actually, you know, I can tell by the shape and by the cantle and by the design, that's actually a Sporin made by my Sporin guy. Do you want me to get that same Sporin for you? I think they were charging like 600 bucks or 650 roughly. And I told, because it was a mink Sporin, yada, yada, yada. And I told him from us, that same thing would retail for about 450 or so. And he said, no, no, no. I would prefer to get my Sporin from Kinlock Anderson. He just wanted to have something of his outfit that he didn't buy from us that was made in Scotland and bought in Scotland. And that's fine. And I didn't begrudge him that. And off he went. So he bought the Sporin from Kinlock Anderson and he was very happy with it. Beautiful Sporin. Um, when he told us he got the Sporin, I said, wonderful. Picked up his jacket, showed us the Sporin. Wonderful. Looked lovely. <clears throat> Next day, I called up my sporin maker, and I said, Hey, Greg, did you make a sporin in mink with this cantle for Kinlock Anderson around this date? And he said, Yeah. And I said, Okay. Just wanted to see. So it's, yes, there are certain, there are certain things that come along with the cachet of a particular name, whether that's Kinlock Anderson, whether that's Brooks Brothers, whether that's Chanel, whatever. Um, there are certain surcharges that you will pay for buying from a particular company. Yes, Kinlock Anderson has the royal warrants. Royal warrants meaning the the Queen of Sky, or Queen of England and Prince Charles and a few other members of the royal family have given them the warrant to say this is where we buy our kilts from. This is where we buy our sporns from and they get this royal warrant which means something more over there than it does over here. Um, but 
yes, there is a certain amount of cachet that comes with that, and do I think they are capitalizing on it? Yeah, to a degree. It's I'm, I'm not trying to speak negatively about competitors. I'm just kind of calling it as I see it. They make beautiful stuff. I have nothing bad to say about their quality of kilts, their quality of uh, uh, accessories that they offer, that kind of stuff. They have a wonderful business. It, it, it's a beautiful, like everything I've seen from them looks very, very nice. It's not cheap, but it looks nice. Any thoughts on other kilt makers, Mr. Mac? No, I mean, there's, in this case, there's only so many ways we can make a kilt. And everyone has their own way of doing it. Tricks, tips, yeah. secrets, yeah. It's kind of like a pair, pair of blue jeans, whether from Levi's or or uh, Lucky or Banana Republic. They're, the end result is a blue jean. It's just a or matter of how you get there. All-American Clothing Company. There you go. Small plug. Cool company. <laughs> you can put that at the bottom, just a little bit. A little, little link. You know. mm-hmm. I, I did the the one video of me with the, uh, you know, time is what we got with the All-American Clothing yeah. Company shirt on. Um, this isn't meant to be a plug for them. <laughs> <clears throat> it is, but um, no, it's a good comparison. Yeah, it's jeans are jeans are jeans. There's slightly different variations mm-hmm. from one manufacturer to the next. Um, do Walmart jeans fit better or worse than a pair of Lucky jeans at $20 versus $120? Is it worth the $100 Delta? Like, these are all things that you decide. Yeah. It doesn't have like the pre the pre done rips in them and no. the, the acid stains. You can just drag them behind your vehicle and that'll, that'll catch them up. <laughs> now, are you wearing them As while being drugged behind the vehicle? Well, you got to get them to fit right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, break them in. <laughs> and perhaps some bones. Mr. Mac. Alrighty, so we have Cameron asking. Five yard versus eight yard. He's noticed his five yard tends to need a, a bit more pleat maintenance due to ease of wrinkling. Are there different upkeep considerations when it comes to a five yard versus eight yard? <clears throat> I would, I would say politely. Um, there. Well, I'd say this. I'm, I, if I had to guess, I'd say that your the material for your five yard versus eight yard came from two different mills um certain mills will hold a crisp edge better certain mills are more difficult to iron in um so it's it really has more to do with the mill that did the weaving of your fabric than it does five yard versus eight yard um do you have thoughts on that that's that's kind of where i was going it's just a question of of what the weight difference is if it's Weight difference or mill difference? I'm going weight difference. I think okay. weight difference is is the start. Is it 13 versus 16? Okay. Um, but I'll let you keep digging your hole there. <laughs> but if we're talking like Welsh Tartan Center cloth versus like Martin Mills cloth, or no, I wouldn't say Martin Mills, House of Edgar. Um, House of Edgar... Will tend tends to be a little bit harder when we go to iron, or we're, as we're working on the kilts, it's a little bit harder to iron in. But once it's ironed in, it's in. Some of the Welsh tartan center cloth that <coughs> we're ironing that in, it's a little bit more stretchy, a little bit more spongier. So it tends to, if you breathe on it wrong, it tends to wrinkle up more. So you said weight. 
But then you talked about MILF. I know. I went, I went both directions. No, you didn't. You only talked about the MILF. So the way I think... Welsh is 13. House of Edgar is 13. Not all of it. Some of it's 16. The majority of it. <laughs> what you were thinking in your little brain over yes. there, Mac. But even, even 16 versus 13, the you have that... You have some of that same uh, same issues where the 16 is a little, a little bit harder to iron in. It's a little bit more. You don't get the, some of the stuff. Really? Some of them, depending on what mill. Really, Mac? Depending on the mill. Really, Mac? So so you're saying La Caron's 16 ounce is harder to iron in? Oh, no. Than, La- let's say House of Edgar's 13 ounce? No, I'll say La Caron. La Caron gives up on the iron. <laughs> when you put an iron near it, it, it flattens out. So. Edgar's, Edgar's the harder. The harder. So, Martin Mills, 16 ounce, is well, harder, Mills, uh, harder to iron than than, no. than House of Eggers 13 ounce? No, Martin Mills gives up on the iron too. Okay, so who else does 16 ounce that is more difficult to iron than House of Eggers 13? Badly. <sighs> I, I wouldn't <laughs> say harder to iron. I'm calling checkmate. <laughs> I win. No. It has nothing to do with the weight of the fabric. It has more to do with the mill. How about you? The Black Knight always triumphs. The Ian, what are your thoughts? Weigh in on this debacle. This this argument that Mac and I are about to have. Hmm, let me I check. Am gonna... Let me double check the name that is signed at the bottom of my paycheck. <laughs> yes. Here, Remember, quick. I signed the front of the check. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that much of a jerk. I don't actually say that. That was just a joke. Yeah, I, so. I, I, I do think both are relevant. This, uh, the weight matters. The, 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 the mill matters. But I think the mill matters probably a little bit more. <laughs> the weight matters depending on the mill. Mm-hmm. I would, I, it's, it's a subset. Sure. The, the mill matters by far the most and then weight as a secondary thing. Because Batley's, using your example of Batley's, their 16-ounce and their 13-ounce are a little bit more difficult to iron than mm-hmm. other mills. Um, House of Edgar, both 13 and 16-ounce are a little bit yeah. difficult to iron. Martin Mills, both are a little bit easier to iron. Lock Heron, both are a little bit easier. So it has more to do with the mill, to me, than the weight. Although, maybe Batley's 13-ounce is a little bit easier to iron than their 16. Or, and less or rarity, which we don't do too many of them. Um, 16 or 11 ounce. That would be the only other. That would be the only. Yeah. That, that's that's a far extreme. <clears throat> that's. Oof. Don't do an 11 ounce kilt. It's just no, no, not very pretty. Mm-mm. No. So, mill matters more because I said so. Mac thinks for some reason <laughs> that weight has anything to do with it. Oh, weight has a lot. <laughs> He's, he's allowed to be wrong. <laughs> Mac is allowed to have his wrong opinion. Love you, Mac. Mm-hmm. All right, Mr. Ian, next question. Before we move on to the next question, I wanted to share a comment from uh, somebody named Lucas on Facebook. He says, I find all my kilts difficult to iron. <laughs> because he doesn't know what an iron is. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so for a question, though, uh, let's go with a question from Daryl on Facebook. He wants to know, is there an inside and an outside in PV cloth? Yes. There is an inside and an outside in PV cloth. Um, the outside, the, the the right side of PV cloth is going to be the, the, the part that's actually facing away from the kilt that we make. 
if you're just buying fabric. Um, you can tell by, if you're looking at the bottom edge of the fabric, the twill lines are gonna run to the up and to the left. If you're looking at the edge of the fabric, up and to the left. That is the correct side of the fabric. That is the side of the fabric that's actually coated with the Teflon coating on it. Yeah, all, all the fabric is going to have a, a right, right side and wrong side. The face is always, when you go to a bolt, majority of the time the face, the, the front, is usually rolled to the inside. That way it keeps it... Protected. Yeah, it keeps yeah. it protected the whole entire time. So no matter what majority of all material is going to have a right and wrong side. Yeah, and the only reason that it's considered right and wrong, because it's, it's woven, so you're going to see the same pattern on both sides. Frankly, it really doesn't matter. If, you, if your kilt is made... <clears throat> backwards um that it's not really going to matter the only time it matters is when they are darning the fabric um when they actually weave the fabric when a string ends in the middle of a run they have to actually tie a little knot and tie it to the next piece of yarn to continue weaving there they're going to pull all of those knots up um so that the face of the fabric is down they're going to pull them all to one side one you know one side of the fabric and that way it's consistent. So from one side is good, the other side, there may be little tiny, you know, knot flaws. K-N-O-T, not N-O-T. Um, knot flaws on one side. That being said, it really doesn't matter. And the other thing I'll say is this. Not every mill uses up and to the left as their correct side. For instance, Lockaren Strom, specifically Lockaren Strom, 16-ounce Lockaren cloth, goes up and to the right versus their 13 ounce goes up and to the left. So I don't know why that's... Yeah, I've always wondered that myself. Yeah, me too. Now I am... Now I'm going to be up at night. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. Lock Karen, why do you do that? Is the is um, the loom they run it on? Does that no, because they run them both... I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I've never been to Lock Karen. It's the Lock Karen headquarters. I've been to a few other mills, but not Lock Karen. Um, so maybe it's a different loom, but I would just assume that they're just changing their, they don't have like 8,000 looms where these 3,000 are just dedicated to Strom. Um, so I would, I would guess that they're using multiple looms for, or the, the same loom for multiple weights of cloth and multiple things. Um, you just set the loom up a little bit differently. But does, does Edgar, does Edgar's change between no. their 16, their double Um, their, does their Nevis change? I think. Ian, do you remember if their Nevis changes at all? House of Edgar, does their Nevis go the opposite direction? I'm not sure. You just rely on a little honest. sticker that says face. <laughs> yes, pretty much. Uh, I look too pretty to be worried about remembering such things. <laughs> um, yeah, but ultimately, I will say this. Not every mill uses up and to the left. Some use up and to the right. Um, so don't worry too much about it. As long as you don't see visible flaws. And let's, let's go worst case scenario. You get fabric, you make a kilt, and you make it from Lockaren cloth, you do it backwards, you go, oh, shoot, I screwed up. All you have to, it doesn't really matter. All you have to do is look at the face of the cloth carefully, and in all the different pleats that you've sewn in, and the front apron of the kilt, look for little tiny um, knots that it would be on the surface of the fabric. If you find one, take a seam ripper, or take a pin, and just gently poke at that knot, until you can get it to work through to the other side of the cloth, then turn it over, take your fingers, and kind of just pull at it gently, just to make sure that it's on the back side of the cloth. Take your fingers diagonal on the lines, and pull it taut a couple times that way, 
a couple times the other way. Boom. Done. It's, don't, don't cut it. Yeah, don't cut that knot. Oh, for the love of God, do not cut that. You're going to end up with a hole. But it's not that big of a deal. If it's the wrong side of the fabric, it's, it's really not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Mr. Mack. All right, so we have uh, Brian asking, is there a test to determine if your horsehair sporn has real horsehair <clears throat> or what to look for when buying one from a picture on a website? Yes. If you are looking for, if you're in the market for a horsehair sporn, if you're buying it online, the old adage is probably true. Take out eBay and old used sporns because there are gems to be found on eBay just like anything else. But if you are buying a horsehair sporn, brand new, and it costs 100 bucks, 125 $150, somewhere in that price range, I would look at it with a little bit of a, a suspect eyeball, you know, the old hairy eyeball. Um, if a, a proper horsehair sporn, a real horsehair sporn made in Scotland, is probably going to retail 300 on the very, very low end, maybe, and that's almost cost, um, up to four, 450 bucks, 500 bucks, depending on the cantle, depending on the intricacy of the design. How do you tell if it's a real horsehair sporn or if it's actually just um, nylon, like monofilament, like weed whacker cord, just really, really thin? The way to do that, you can't do it from a picture online. You have to do it with the actual sporn in front of you. Take one individual strand of horsehair and pluck it from its resting spot on the sporin. Take a lighter, and you're going to do the burn test. Um, you know, basically have the big long strand, light it on fire, and see what happens. If it becomes a a crackly hard ball and it smells like burnt plastic, it's not real horsehair. If it kind of crackles and puts itself out, and or smells like burning hair, then it's made from horsehair. That's how I would do it. Any any thoughts? That's usually how, that's how I test most fibers to see to verify what it is. Is the is the burn test? Yeah, it's the quickest and easiest. Yeah, for horsehair specifically, it's easy because it's either hair or it's not. For fabric, the burn test is a little bit trickier because you mm-hmm. have blends. So if you have a poly wool blend, it'll smell like burning hair, but you'll still get that hard black ball that when you squish between your fingers burns you versus turning to ash. That's the other thing. Real hair, whether it's wool, whether it's horse hair, whether it's human hair, whatever it is, will turn to ash. It will also kind of self... No, does, does, does hair self-extinguish or is that cotton I'm thinking of? Or both? I think they both do. Okay. Self-extinguish meaning it won't like run along the line of it like a fuse and continue going. It'll burn for a little bit and then fizzle out. Um, if it just keeps going, has a hard plastic ball, drips, um, and, you know, <laughs> burns your skin, it is not real. It's synthetic. That is man-made fiber, um, and you're buying an inferior product as far as horsehair sports. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mr. Ian. All right. I've got a question here from YouTube. Is there somewhere you wouldn't wear a kilt to? Crowd surfing at a concert. <laughs> I think we touched on that last episode. I was gonna go bungee jumping, but well, you got that harness on. That's true. It's we we've had discussions on that before. With rock climbing, <clears throat> that yeah. type of thing. If yeah. you wear the harness and then put on the kilt, fine. 
if you try to put the harness on over top of the kilt, it would just kind of mess everything up. Um, where would you not wear a kilt? <clears throat> funny answers and serious answers. We'll do serious first, then funny. I can offer an answer if you guys are want to think sure. about it a, a second. So this is a, a little bit of a tangent to the question, but there's one place that I was wearing my kilt to that forced me to change my kilt-wearing habits. And this ties into a common question that kilt wearers get about, do you wear underwear? What are you wearing underneath? When I first started working at USA Kilts and wearing a kilt every day, I was dropping my daughter off at daycare every day with a lot of little toddlers at just the wrong height. So it forced me to rethink how I approached uh, the question of what gets worn underneath. So it's not the same as where would I not wear it, but it did force me to reconsider how I went about it. How it was worn, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> We've had a customer do it. Um, and we've made one. We've tried to figure out how to do it, and we did. Scuba diving? Yeah. It's The problem with wearing a kilt in... We've had people before say, like, hey, can you put, like, you know, the, the insides of, like, a pair of swim trunks into a kilt so you can just pull it up and wear it swimming? <clears throat> the problem is, with the, the fabric billowing out like that, it's going to float until it gets wet. So... When you, if you tried to wear a kilt swimming, it's just kind of float on top and then you're less, you know, exposed underneath. So scuba diving, if you're like fully submerged underwater, fine. Did Ron wear a, a wetsuit underneath it? I think he did. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he did. It's a bit awkward either way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Swimming, no. Um, where else would I not wear the kilt? If it was like, if it was going to be like crazy windy. Um, if I was, I'd wear it, I'd wear it almost anywhere. I'd wear it, you know, to the, to, you know, Dorney Park or you know, like a, a Six Flags Great well, Adventure kind of had, thing. Uh, or one, uh, kilt maker, Ron, he wore his in a parade and going down through Philadelphia and you get the wind blowing up through there. He yeah, was, you through know, the streets. Yeah. Doing the old Marilyn Monroe trying to. Yeah. It can get awkward. I'd say if there's a lot of wind, um, <laughs> yeah. if there's. A lot of little kids, if you're going to be sitting... Here's another one that you don't often think about. If you're going to be sitting on a couch, like a low couch, where your knees kind of angle up, um, that could be a bit more exposure than you're looking for. Um, I would say I would not wear it to a wedding if I was specifically asked not to wear it. If the bride, mm -hmm. you know, or if, you know... It, if the bride or groom or whoever said, look, I don't want you to wear it. It's going to distract from the rest of the, the festivities. It's going to distract from the bride. Please don't wear it. I wouldn't wear it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put up too much of a fuss about it. Um, some people would say, well, then, you know, if you won't accept me in my kilt, you won't accept me. And there is something to that. Um, it also depends on how close I am to them. If I'm, if it's my sister-in-law or if it's my, you know, my best friend's marriage, um, and they said something about it, maybe I'd forgo it. If it was, you know, my wife's second cousin, twice removed, brother's roommate, then I'm just not going. Whatever. Yep. <laughs> I, well, Mac is a man of many words. Yep. <laughs> you should hear the discussions with his <laughs> wife on the phone. This is the entirety of his discussions are, yep, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Love you too. Bye. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
She's on the feed. Be careful, Mac. I know. <laughs> pulling pulling information out of Mac for this episode is he's he's blossoming. Or even just discussions in the morning between you and me. Yeah, pretty much. How's it going? Yeah, going. Yep, going. <laughs> yeah, he's a man of many words. Mm -hmm. All right, next question. We'll get you talking. All right, we have Andrew asking. Is there a backstory or reason why some tartans are so busy? Also, does the tightness of the pattern make it difficult for a kilt maker in terms of pleating? His last okay. name is McAllister. So, <clears throat> yeah, McAllister is a pretty busy tartan. Mm -hmm. um, is there a backstory to busy to tartans that are busy? Um, not really, not necessarily. There, some you know, individual tartans may have a backstory to them. Um, but there's no rhyme or reason. It's not like a, ooh, you know, the, the more colors, the more changeovers, the busier it is, the wealthier the person wears. There's nothing like that. That's all bunk. Um, the, uh, the, the busiest tartan I can think of is the, the, the Weaver's Nightmare. Ogilvy. No. Ogilvy. It's, I guess it's just regular Ogilvy. It's not the hunting. It's the regular Ogilvy. Yeah. Where there's like a, like, there's a... 897 different changeovers in the set. It's a ridiculously complicated tartan. Um, but there, yeah, there's no reason to it other than the person that designed it liked it for whatever reason. It's not my taste necessarily, but they liked it. They just hate, they just hate weavers. <clears throat> yeah, they hate the weavers. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, for is it more difficult or less difficult to make a kilt from a busy tartan? Yes. Um, depends on the set size and it depends on how, how busy the, the main problem is when you, when you're pleating up the back of a kilt, you want to have on each individual pleat, the ideal is to have a single thing centered on the pleat or a pair of things like two stripes side by side centered on the pleat. And when it's a lot of little stripes all side by side by side, when you are tapering each individual pleat. You may grab like a little bit of red, let's say, on the bottom of this pleat. But by the time you taper it to the top, you lose those two or three threads of red because you've had to taper it in. And then what happens is you end up with red spikes going up, you know, part, you know, individual uh, uh, pleats on the back of the kilt. If it's pleated to the set, if it's pleated to the stripe, you'll end up with, you know, a ton of spikes going up there. Yeah, and... We, and... The only other time that type of thing happens is someone's a really big hip to waist uh, waist to hip ratio. Yeah, yeah. If, if it's their, um, if that's large, then usually you see that type of thing going on. Like if it's a thirty-four inch waist, which is kind of small, and forty-six inch hips, so there's like a twelve-inch difference. Then there's a lot more taper in each individual pleat versus a guy who's like 40, 42, you know, forty waist, forty-two hips, where there's not a whole lot of taper to any pleat. Yeah, I've um, there's a Ross that we're working on over there somewhere. Um, that we have that same exact scenario where some of the red has to spike out. Just it's just because of the the waist size and the hip size on it. But yeah, going to the the, the busyness of it, it's just the um, how did he have that worded again? Um, Is there a reason why there's a busyness or not a busyness? No, I mean other other than just Denoy Weavers, um, just looks. 
Yeah, it's... There isn't... I guess business is also in the eye of the polder in certain cases. There's things that I think... The what's are, in the eye of the polder? The, the, the business of it. Like, okay. some people will say, like, Clark or clergy is really busy. But when okay. you compare that okay. to to an Ogilvy or to a McAllister, it's not... Not that busy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... There's a balance. Yeah. Like, there, there's a balance between Rob Roy check... <laughs> Which is liter- Buffalo check, which is literally just like the checkerboard. It's black and red squares versus Ogilvy. There is a balance to be struck between those two extremes. Um, you want to have, in, in my estimation, you want to have two main fields with a strong pivot. And you want it to be, you know, interesting and a little bit complex, but not crazy that it gets too busy and you don't really see a full pattern within it. Um, like Ogilvy, it just kind of, at some point it all just ends up blending together. Um, whereas like Wallace or, uh, Roberts or, uh, Rob Roy McGregor, it's just very, very simple. There's really not much to it at all. It's almost too plain for my taste. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with the, mm-hmm, the end of that mm-hmm. as well. Again, <laughs> man of many words. All right, Mr. Ian. <clears throat> All right, let's go to a question from Logan on YouTube. He wants to know, why do some clans have multiple tartans, and how do they get them? Is there a single right tartan? No, there's no single right tartan. Um, Clans get multiple tartans because either their clan chief has said, yes, this is our dress tartan and this is our hunting tartan, or people have just designed different ones and it's kind of through want and usage become the acceptable thing. For instance, Stuart. You have Stuart hunting, you have Stuart black, Stuart red, Stuart dress, um, and then there's like some fashion ones like Stuart navy and stuff like yeah. that, Stuart camel. Um, but there's, most of those are official. And then you also have, with Stuart specifically, Stuart of Appen, Stuart of Ardshiel, you know, Stuart of Atoll. There are different Stuarts from different areas of Scotland, so those can have other different tartans associated with a, a steward from a specific region. <clears throat> now, in other instances, like Mackay, well, I guess there's a couple different Mackays. That's a bad one. Gun. Gun has one tartan, the gun tartan. So there's no variations on it outside of, you know, modern muted weathered ancient, which is the color palette, not the tartan. Um, so it's, there's no rhyme or reason why one has multiple or one only has one. It's just, it is what it is. Because either no one has officially given it the, the Hanukkah, Danica, the blessing of, yes, this is an official Stuart Tartan, as is that, as is that, as is that. Maybe, you know, Clan Gun only has one. Um, because their clan chief only did that. Or maybe they don't have a clan chief to accept any other ones. So there's no real reason. Um, you can design your own tartan. You can design a tartan for your own family. It may be registered as a personal tartan versus a clan tartan. But you know there there's nothing stopping anyone from designing new tartans now. Yeah, the and I think we've touched on this on another show. Uh, we talked about the. Um, um, the Stuarts, the... Appen? No, no, the... 
the Polish guys. Sobieski Stewart. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I always screw up that name, so I figured you got it. The Polish Stewart. Yeah. guys. yeah. Uh, you know, with their with their creation of stuff and how there's there's just variants, um, and it also seems like more the more prevalent the name, the more the more variety there, has. there are. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would I would agree with that. Well, yes and no, because there there are some names like McDonald, Stewart, Campbell. Yes, there are. Well, no, Campbell. There's only no. There's Campbell dress, um, and then there's Campbell of well, Argyle, Campbell of yeah, Corner. Yeah, so, so there there are route. different uh, uh, oh, districts that Campbells are in. Um, yeah, and Robertson has a couple, but like Gun is a pretty big name. Like we get a lot of customers, with, yeah. you know, for the Gun Tartan, and there's only one for that. I'm trying to think of any others that have specifically one, and it's a reasonable size name. Um, and then then there then there are others like Thompson, where it's not that big of a, a clan name, but yeah. there's several different Thompson Tartans. So to some degree, I think you're right. My gut is saying you're right, and that it kind of has to do with how big the clan is, but on other levels, it doesn't. I don't know. Yeah, but then also, as you kind of you kind of said earlier, like the fashion spectrum adds into it too, with the the Stuart Camel, the Stuart Blue. Um, you're adding navy, Stuart. yeah, navy. Yeah. Um, you're adding all that extra stuff in there where the fashion industry has helped helped it yeah. move it along as well. Let's take this tartan. Let's you know take this color, change it out for that color, and now we're gonna call it Stuart. Navy, Stuart, Camel. So there's, yeah, there's different ways to kind of how things evolve with it. Indeed. Mm -hmm. Mr. Ian, see you chuckling over there. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on uh, what Chris Golick is doing in the uh, chat here. <laughs> that guy again. <laughs> so I've got a question from a local friend of ours, David. He's commenting on Facebook. Uh, and I will call him out a little bit here. He seems to think that this is a, a uh, weaver's uh, session, not a kilt maker session. But he says he has a historical question. When the small kilt as we know it now became popular, uh, when the small kilt as we know it now became popular, was woolen wool or worsted wool the more common fabric for making the kilts? And is there an advantage to one over the other? Mac. You know much more about history than I do, and or fabric. So I am going to 100% to defer to that guy. And if he doesn't know the answer, we'll just cut this out of the episode. It's fine. Um, Worsted wool, or what was the other one? He said woolen wool. Um, like, the, the finish in the hand of fabric has evolved over time. Yeah. Like, the finishing treatments of fabric like wool fabric that we're making kilts from today is vastly different from like the 1980s like when i get someone who's like hey this fabric was in a trunk for 40 years can you make a kilt from it it feels different yeah like the hand is different let's say now today today now i would say worsted wool but as you said it everything's changed over time so, it seems like this would be more of an Eric question. He's a little bit more yeah. tuned into that. So, Well, and uh, frankly speaking, 
I don't know if he even would be because it's a fabric-specific question. He knows more about vintage stuff and about the eras, but he's yeah. not necessarily like keyed in on the, the fabric themselves. This... I, I will say this. There are, believe it or not, there are things that we don't know. Don't tell my wife. She thinks I know everything. No, she doesn't. Um, <clears throat> but I, and that's one of the things that we try to do on the show is if we don't know an answer, we're not just going to BS you. We're going to say, eh, we don't know that one. So I think this is a, yeah. a I'm going to put the stamp of no idea well, uh, on that. I'm going to dig into this one. Yeah. Is the wool, even the woolen stuff, is that's more like from, from my research and stuff of things that I do. It's more in the lines of jackets and 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 small clothes and and those types of things versus yeah. I'm not sure how the actual kilt fabric evolved over time. Yeah, know, that's like, the other way. To... You know much more about the jackets and the historical, uh, you know, jackets and yeah. pants and that kind of thing um, through reenacting. But as far as the kilt fabric itself, yeah, that's I'm not sure. Yeah, that and I'll have to dig into. I'll yeah, I'll do some digging on that one. I'm gonna give you a firm, no effing idea. <laughs> Mr. Ian, ask me another question I might actually know an answer to. <laughs> okay, this is a fun question from Struan on Facebook. He wants to know when pleading, what pleading style flops around in the wind the most? Flops around in the wind the most. I believe this is a swish-related question. It's all about the swish. Um, I have my answer. I'll let you two. I have, I have a pin in mind. I want to hear your guys' responses first. What style of pleating swishes the best and or flops around ambiguously with the wind? So I think this is a question tailor-made <clears throat> for Mac because the answer has more to do with the weight than either the mill or the pleating style. I would still disagree with that assessment. <laughs> I think it's going to matter on the depth more than anything else. The the deep, I think the the deeper, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm like visually in my head, like going through the, like the depth of the, the pleat. So if it's floppier, it's going to have less depth to it. I think he means by floppier, like which flops around, like which swishes more. Oh, it swishes. You're talking about the whole swing together. Yeah. Let's 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 assume that's the question. The swing, then yeah. the more depth. So you want it to the the more that's tucked in there, the more it's gonna. Like you have, you have a kilt that but you use. The factors are, pleating style, weight, depth, to a small degree mill. Just because I want to tick you off. But um, weight, depth, and uh, pleading style. Well, I'm going to say if we're going to go weight, I'll go 16. If we're going depth, I'm going to say a deeper pleat. If we're going pleading style, I think it does. at that point it doesn't. It's, it's going to be to the set more than likely at that point. It doesn't have to be a set. You just have skinnier pleats to the stripe. But Are you talking pleading style as Pleading in, style as in... Rolled pleat, box okay. pleat, That's, military box pleat, I was pleat, going pleat. by setter stripe. Sorry, sorry. Um, 
I'm gonna go box split then. Has more switch. No, but it's not gonna have. I'm going. I'm reverting back to my other thought. I'm gonna. I'm gonna box you into a corner on this. Um, if you disagree with me, I will box you into a corner and make you fight your way out. Rope a dope, Mac. Rope a dope. <laughs> now he's like, oh no. What is Rocky gonna now I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'll go knife. <clears throat> I'll go knife. Sixteen. What was the other thing? The depth or like the length of fabric. So like. Eight yard kilt versus five yard versus whatever. Well, only eight yard. Yeah. Okay. I would agree. Why? Because you agree. <laughs> the. <clears throat> All right, I'll answer it since Mac, man of many <laughs> words. Um, the, basically, if we're talking about the swing of the kilt, the heavier the weight of fabric, the more momentum it's actually going to gather as you're walking. So 13 ounce is going to be better than 11 ounce. 16 ounce is going to be better than 13 ounce. So there, it's going to get more momentum because there's more actual weight to the cloth. The depth of the pleats or the amount of fabric that's in the kilt, the, the more within reason um, fabric that you have in the kilt, the more, again, the more momentum because there's going to be more weight in the individual pleats. If you have a 16-yard kilt, um, it's gonna it's gonna hurt your back. <laughs> um, it's gonna be too much fabric to carry around, and it's gonna actually at some point kind of come down the other side of the curve, um, you know, the graph curve, and it's gonna start getting in its own way. Um, so, an eight-yard kilt, in my mind, is pretty much the ideal for the amount of cloth. Now, pleating style. I would still say knife pleat because, again, similar to the amount of cloth, the pleats will get out of their own way. They're all going the same similar, the same singular direction, versus a military box pleat kilt. And by military box pleat, it's basically deep pleating on one side and little shallow pleating on the other side of the same exact pleat. So if you're looking down the pleat, it's kind of like an extended Z, and it goes like real deep in one side. A regular box pleat, like a four-yard box pleat kilt, is a Z-shape of equal distance of each side. So, like, two-inch face to the pleat, two-inch, or one-inch depth at that mm -hmm. point. Um, that will not have a lot of swing uh, because it, the pleats are going both directions. Same thing with the military box pleat because the pleats are going both directions. They kind of... They gather too much on themselves. They get in their own way. The advantage to those is if you're spinning either direction, the pleats will open up. Yeah. Versus spinning one direction and not opening up the other way nearly as much. But we're talking now about spinning, not about walking. Um, so, yes, for those reasons, knife pleat, 16-ounce, 8-yard kilt will give you the ideal amount of swing or a 9-yard kilt if your hips are over 47. Would you agree with my insightful, extensive synopsis there, Mr. Mac? I'll give it a seal of approval. Kachunk. Coraline. Max seal of <laughs> approval. Graphic. Insert here. There's a lot of graphics you add in this one. Oh. Absolutely. <laughs> I love coming up with new things to make her job more difficult. It is, it is, it is part of why I like doing this. <clears throat> All right. Was that you or was that Ian? That was... 
That was, was the end. end. Okay, Mr. Mac, next question. Alrighty, this will be a fun one. Mountain Wolf is asking, what would be the single most vomit-inducing outfit someone could wear on purpose to make a kilt outfit outfit enthusiast head explode? So basically, a the real worst n- outfit imaginable. A real okay. nightmare tartan outfit. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Let's start from the bottom up. Worst shoe choice. The the toe toe shoes. Toe shoes? Toe shoes. I'm going toe shoes on this one. I'm going Birkenstocks. I'm I knew going, I knew where you were going to go with this. It's <laughs> least favorite option for kill. Um, okay, so we'll start with Birkenstocks. Um, next level up, socks. Well, if you're gonna wear, if you're gonna wear those, you gotta wear socks with your Birkenstocks. What color? What style of socks? And I'm. I'm we're we're gonna go if you if I think your answer is better I will let you trump my answer and we're gonna build the outfit. I'm going white socks with the stripes. Tube socks. Yep. <laughs> yep. Tube socks. Okay. Flashes. <clears throat> They've got to be different than what you're wearing. Different tartan flashes from mm-hmm. what you're wearing. Okay. And I would say this: one on the inside. One on the, the outside. outside. <laughs> so they're both the same so direction. Split. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> oh, like, you're talking one on one, the inside of each one. Yes. flag on each side. One okay. flag on each side of the yep. leg. Mm-hmm. That would be, that'd be horrible. Um, skin do. Um, you can't really screw up a skin do. No. It's a, it's a skin do. Um, so, or is it on the inside of the leg? Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Not a skin do because you, you don't have a skin do. Okay. Butter knife. Okay. Butter knife as a skin do. Mm-hmm. Now, kilt. What kilt? Well, are they, how do they phrase it? No, uh, whole outfit. We're going We're bottom going up. Outfit. Keep okay. going. Kilt. What tartan? Ooh, tartan. What fabric? What? I already have the answer. Well, I'm, see, I'm not even going tartan. I'm <coughs> going. I'm no, going. No. We're going tartan? Give me tartan. Give me fabric. Okay. We're building the outfit, Mac. Well, then we're going to go. It's right here. We're going to go flannel. Flannel? We're going to do flannel. And what, whatever Joanne's special is that day. Like, it has to have the gold. Like, the All right. the gold thread in it, too. <clears throat> okay, okay. I'm. We're going to let Ian be the tiebreaker on this. Mine was going to be the acrylic Pakistani version of the Isla Sky Tartan. Mm. The bright sky where they use the neon colors. When it's been in Limerick Power Plant for a while. Oof, oof, the... Yeah. It's, <laughs> oof, it's, it glows in the dark. Ian, what do you think? Joanne's flannel random fabric or the bright sky tartan? How are so, we building this? Mac could have had this one had he had he gone with more of a pattern thing. He seemed to be sticking to flannel, which is at least close to tartan. If he had some weird like dinosaur pattern or something, he could have won this one. Nah, I gotta I'm, go I'm gonna, with. We're well, gonna keep it traditional. To, to keep this is a horrid traditional yeah. outfit. But, Ian. but I, I, I'm gonna have to agree with you, Rocky. We're gonna go with the. Uh, okay, so the, we got the bright sky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kilt pin. Grandma's brooch. Grandma's brooch, <laughs> worn high, and at an angle. Oh yeah. Okay. On the left oh, side of the on the opposite side. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Sporin. Either wife's old purse or fanny pack. Oh. 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 See, I, I was going to go just like cheap 
horrible dress sporn worn with like a belt buckle and stuff. You may beat me with the wife's purse thing. <laughs> I've I've seen that once at a festival. Yep. And, ooh. All right, we're gonna go wife's purse. Got it. Um, belt. The 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 webbing belt. The... Now, how big of a wife's purse? Are we talking like a a, a little handbag, dainty, um, like clutch? Or are we talking like oversized luggage? <laughs> Let's keep it dainty-ish. I was I was thinking like sequiny. Sequins. Yeah. Got it. Sequin clutch with like gold chain. Oh yeah. Of course. Okay. Check. So Brittany Tara on Facebook has pointed out that this kilt should also be backwards, regardless of which one we choose. Or sideways. <laughs> sideways. I like that. Outside the box thinking from a man Mac over mm-hmm. there. Sideways. Buckles in front. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um now Coraline's going to have to go back and edit that. <laughs> Sorry, Coraline. Not really. Um, okay. So belt buckle and belt. Let's say inch wide belt. Now are you going like just regular flat belt or are you going like, I was thinking like the webbing mesh, not the, like the, with the, the, the leather that's woven. Now, what color is the handbag? I was thinking black sequins. Black sequins. Okay. So then, I would then I would say no. It's a classic I would purse. I would go, just to keep just to keep that level of class. I would go brown dress belt, okay, with gold buckle. Now are we throwing like a cowboy buckle on this, or are we? Just, no, 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 no. Just, just a regular just buckle. Skinny, horrible, horrible. Okay. Dress buckle. That's the point. Okay. Um. Now, well, I don't know if we did do like big old honking cowboy buckle. It could it could really screw up with the belt. So, all right, we'll go cowboy buckle. Big ol' uh, now. What's what's on the cowboy buckle? I was just gonna think... be like the the Texas steer horn. See, you know, or thing. you go with the buckle that's got like the uh, the shot glass that's stuck in it, or the bottle opener on it. <sighs> yeah, yeah, I could be a bro and do that. <laughs> yeah, like the bottle opener buckle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right, we'll do that. Um, Shirt. I'm torn between Hawaiian shirt or t- or tie dye shirt. Oh, oh, wow, wow! You went there. Wow, I w- I'm pushing the cards forward on that one. Oh, that you you beat me on either of those. I was see I was gonna try to go like Highland shirt and then with like some kind of Prince Charlie-ish kind of thing, but you've you've taken it <laughs> to new depths. Um. I gotta go tie dye. I gotta go with you on the tie dye. So tie dye, tie dye with printed on bow tie. Okay. Okay. Um, and dancing bears. <laughs> All right. Um, now just to you know to to keep it in the in the in the realm of formal, um, as we are so far. Or <laughs> we put the, a fly plate on? No. Well, we got to talk about the jacket first. Oh, we're doing jacket. Jacket. Yes. So what style of jacket? I'm I'm either going Grandpa's old suit jacket. Man, you're, you're trumping my my, my <laughs> thoughts here, Mac. You're, you're getting me. You're getting me. All right, Grandpa's old suit jacket. Um, see, the the sad thing is, Grandpa's old suit jacket could be like an old tweed jacket. It could which be. Could be oddly almost appropriate. So I don't know if I don't know if I'm going there. Or the other way to go is jean jacket. 
No, we're going formal. Oh, we're going formal? Well, we can, we can, okay, jacket. we can do whatever. We can do whatever. <laughs> See now, but but the jean jacket would go with the, with the tie dye. So I'm so. going to say no to the jean jacket. Okay. I would go. I would go. Grandpa's old pinstripe okay. suit jacket. Long. Like long. a zoot suit type. Like Ooh, long, with, like, with tails. Okay, yep. With tails. And shoulder, shoulder pads. pads. <laughs> Good call for me and shoulder pads. All right. Now, Fly played in a different tartan. Of course. We'll do the Joann's fabric there. We'll do a flannel. Okay. Flannel Joann's fabric there. Mm-hmm. Um... A sword kilt pin, of course, as the plaid brooch, mm-hmm. as opposed to a proper plaid brooch. Um, we will do a what kind of what kind of hat? That's where I was. I was, I was heading there. Before um, you go to the the head, I'd say instead of a fly plate, go sash, just to especially annoy a kilt maker. Why choose? <laughs> Why not sash and it, fly plate? Now is the sash a cummerbund on top of this? We can go cummerbund if you want to do cummerbund. We can do cummerbund. Um, I'm not going to let's let's leave off the whole the whole rat's nest of stolen valor, you know, like fake medals or whatever. We'll we'll st- we'll put that to the yep. side. So we don't, I only want to get into that. So we'll say yes, sash, tartan, of course. Again, mm-hmm. not magic kilt. Um, fly blade, sword kilt pin, um, jacket was pinstripe, hat. So we're down the hat. You can do you can do this a few different ways. Yeah, you can you can really go a few different ways, and we could do cowboy hat. That that's this seems too obvious though. Yeah, it does. It does. It feels obvious. I I was gonna say like a different tartan Balmoral, but it starts <laughs> to get it starts to get like it's so avant garde. It's almost like an art piece. So I want to go like horrible. Um, we could do like a pork pie hat. We could do a, a a top hat. Yeah, cowboy hat, top hat, and uh, and bowler were the three that popped in my head right off the yeah, bat. Yeah. Okay. Um. Let's do top hat, just because it doesn't fit with anything else. Three eagle feathers. <laughs> feathers. Gotta have feathers in there. Of course. Um. A buckle in front. Buckle, of course. Buckle. Yeah, you know, we're going. We're going slash from Guns N' Roses here. Um, we'll do, does he have, I don't know, he has the, like, the big shell things. Um, we'll, we'll do a, a cap, clan crest cap badge, square in the center center. of the front, (laughs) as if you're gonna, like, poke him in the forehead. Um, and a handlebar mustache. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, or, do we want to do mutton chops, or Fu Manchu, or, or handlebar mustache? I'll give us those three options. I, I'm kind of like 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 a cross between, kind of like Burnside, where it's it comes down and kind of goes up over and it comes back down. Okay, okay. Last piece de resistance: monocle and wall-eyed shillelagh walking stick. Hmm, shillelagh. Is that where you're going with the walking stick? You're not... I, I'd say the Chromach is out. Um, I think I don't know how to pronounce that. I think it's Chromach. Whatever. Um, shillelagh. Um, we could do, like, the cane that 
you, you screw the top off, and there's either a flask <laughs> inside okay. or okay. a sword. Okay, yeah. Um, now, it can't be the flask, because then that would give them an excuse of being drunk to be dressed like this. So, yeah. sword, sword cane. Sword cane. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. That's our horrible kill, kill topic. <laughs> and again, my apologies, not really, to Coraline and or Eric <laughs> for having to build this outfit. Good luck sourcing all those photos. So now, now are they going to take like a graphic of like you standing there, kind of? No, like, it shouldn't be me. I don't want to look like this. Like a okay, we'll use Lucas then. So <laughs> we, have, we just have a graphic of like Lucas. So it's like one of those paper, like those the paper dolls where you just bloop 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 and just kind of build yep. it up from there. Yeah, it's like pop up video, but you know. <laughs> build the outfit. USA Kilt's horrible mm-hmm. outfit builder one hundred and one. Yes. New feature for the website. <laughs> This, he's going to get a phone call from Rob now. <laughs> Rocky, what the hell were you drinking on the show? Um, no. That, my friends, is our nightmare kilt outfit. Voila. And I think every piece of that we've seen on somebody that is worn at a festival. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Like, all of these are things we've unfortunately seen before. It's... We just mashed it all together. Oh, <laughs> oh, I think we're losing our kilt-making card. <laughs> like, having this discussion. All right, we'll do one or two more. We'll, Mr. Ian, we'll do one of yours and one of Max. All right, before I ask my next question, I just wanted to thank everybody for commenting in the comment section. It was popping off during all that. They got tons of suggestions. <laughs> you should definitely go and check that out later, gentlemen. Um, I've got a question here from our good friend Sean in Ohio, also from Facebook. Um, he says, question for the kilt makers. Removing any limitations, what would you like your next kilt to be? Also, what would you like to experiment with when building a kilt? I'd like mine to be the kilts and culture tartan. <laughs> when we eventually get back up and running and done with these freaking face masks. Um, <clears throat> the uh, uh, kilts and culture tartan for our Facebook group and for this show um, came in, if you didn't know, and it is... Magnifique. Um, I'm, you know, breaking my arm to pat myself on the back a little bit, but it came out honestly better than I thought it was going to. So I am psyched. I'm actually getting, I'm uh, going to do a kilt in that. I'm also doing a vest and even a pair of trues. Spoiler alert. I may actually rock a pair of trues on the show at some point just to be sacrilegious to myself. Mr. Mac, what is your next favorite tartan? Perhaps the Flyers tartan that you can eventually get around to, to making yourself after six years of having sitting on the cloth. I mean, the Broad Street Bullies tartan. No copyright. Yeah. Um, I've got quite a few that I got that I have in the cloth for already. Saber? I, what's that? Or Sable? Yeah. Stash acquired beyond life expectancy? Probably the next, the next one, the, the two that I've looked at on a consistent basis all limitations off yep um has been collins of sky and um mccarthy but that one we potentially are gonna have a problem with getting that <laughs> one because that one's probably done now it is um, done it is done again yep. done done, it, done. it was done and came back and now i guess it's done done oh you know martin mills is kind of fickle sometimes <laughs> that's discontinued but we still have some and it's discontinued again so now, this, part of that question was any other materials that we'd want to try to 
No. <laughs> it's I've I've made kilts from other things, and it, it it doesn't end up as good. There's a reason why wool has been used for kilts for you know a long, long time. It is the best fabric to make kilts from. There are other fabrics that are available. There are, you know, the polyviscose has its own, has its place. But it is not the ideal fabric to make a kilt from. That's why people make kilts from wool. Yeah, I can't think of anything that, anything out of the ordinary that... Spandex. <laughs> <laughs> Whew. Um, hug them curves. <laughs> mm. oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> and we've now lost Ian. <laughs> Yeah, no, other materials, I think that's it. That's it. There's nothing There's nothing else, really, that yeah. I would want to try. No. And do you have any any kilt fabrics you would like to try at some point sometime? Um, No, I'm pretty content to stick to uh, wool and PV. Sean does point out that he doesn't mean just materials or any, any, any little thing that you do to adjust, just to try or experiment. Um, in terms of the tartans, though, going back to that first part of the question... Um, I'm very much looking forward to my kilts and culture tartan. That's uh, I do quite like weathered tartans, but Manx is on my short list. Also, there's a Culloden muted that I quite like. It's got like a mustard and burgundy kind of color palette. Culloden, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Nice. Uh, I definitely don't want denim or lace or fur, as some of our commenters are suggesting. <laughs> I, you wouldn't have to. Now, in fairness, if you wore a lace kilt. You wouldn't have to answer the question. No. It would no. kind of be obvious. Um, you also probably, you know, couldn't go certain places to the latest kill. Um, Sailing on the same lines of fishnet. <laughs> now we have to go back to the other thing about <laughs> worst kilt outfit ever. Oh, this is, oh, no, no, stop it. Make it stop. <laughs> Damn you, Sean. Stop these things. Um, okay. Done. I'm done with that one, Mr. Mac. Last question. Alrighty, we'll we'll go with the uh, with with uh, Steve Sanders' question here. Which tartan produces your favorite cloth to work with? Which which tartan mill produces your favorite cloth to work with? Okay, so let's 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 set the ground rules. <clears throat> Ian, ground rules. Mac, any mill, anyone if any weight of fabric. What mill produces your best, the best cloth? So we have Batley's, Dog Leash, House of Edgar, La Caron, Strathmore, Martin Mills. We'll, we'll limit it to the, the ones that we actually get cloth from. Favorite cloth? Uh, that's such a difficult question to answer because some of them do certain things a little better than others. And I could answer this question differently at different times. I like the hand feel of Strathmore's the best. Uh, I don't actually own any from them, though, just because um, I think their tartan choices and their color choices aren't my favorite. And and color choice and uniqueness of tartan really draw me, as I suggested with my previous mentions. I would say House of Edgar 13-ounce cloth. They tend to have tartans I find myself more interested in as a rule. Okay. Okay. How do you like making kilts from that cloth? Um, Forgetting the tartan itself, yes. just the the construction of the kilt. How do you yeah. feel about? And that's that's where I'd go to Strathmore first. Um, with House okay. of Edgar, 
uh, since I've already cited them as well with their 13 ounce cloth, it can be a little bit more difficult to iron in properly, but I find once it's in, it holds a lot better. So I do like that about it. There's less maintenance on yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mr. Mac. Mine, I kind of agree with Ian that there's a couple different ways I go with this. I go by color or I could go by the actual working with the cloth. And I look at what I have already. A lot of what I have already is either Martin Mills or House Edgar. That's more, Between. I'm assuming, because of the colors and because of the tartan choice. Yeah. More than anything. So, I think <clears throat> probably the one I like to work with out of the two the most is Martin Mills. Um, I think they're, the ironing in, the handle, the, f the feel just is overall, that's majority of what I have. Um, let's say majority, it's about half. Um, that's where I'm, that's where I'm going to go. Uh, and even the two tartans that I'd named as the next possible two are both Martin Mills, uh, cloth is what I'm thinking in my head. So you have a bias. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but as far as the color palette, I love House Edgar's color palette the best. Including Ancients? I was <laughs> I was leaning towards muted muted in that in that in in that aspect. Um, House of Edgar, for those who don't know, all of the mills Mac has on an ancient uh, tartan kilt right now. Almost every mill, La Caron, Martin Mills, Strathmore, everybody Batley's has in the ancient color range has a specific. They're they're pretty close on the green that is used and the blue that is used in the ancients, like a light sky blue and a, a light grassy pastel -y kind of green. House of Edgar specifically uses a little bit darker green, more of like a grass green, mm. and the blue is a, just a little bit different, and it is less popular than all of the other ancients from any other mill. Um, and I've kind of jokingly kicked them about that, that they're, they said, you know, hey, you know, well, ours is different from anyone else. That's why we did it with the particular colors that we use because we wanted to be different. And my response was, different isn't always better. Um, so it's for their ancients. Meh. Yeah. I'm, I would say the people that like House of Edgar's ancients are directly drawn to it. The people that, but I would say that's only one or two out of ten mm. that would like theirs over anything else. Almost everyone else will pick somebody else's ancient over House of Edgar. Yeah, and it usually ends up being Lock Heron for the most part. Uh, oh, because they have the biggest range. Yeah, they yeah. do. And you see the same thing at Weathered's, too. They're, they're the ones that kind of have the lockdown on that. Um, and there, I have very few Ancients. I only have, I think I have two or three Ancients out of, of the majority of mine. Um, but as far as, like, the, the what I'm thinking for House Edgar is their... Is their muted? I, I yeah. like that color palette. The muted. Yeah. This is a House of Edgar muted kilt. I mean, I love the muted color range. It is, it's beautiful without being. It's 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 earthy without being boring. Yeah. Um, which some weathered tartans can be, just because they're kind of so drab. This still gives you a p nice punch of color, but it's still kind of earthy feeling. <clears throat> For me, tartan to work with. Um, each mill has its own properties. Um, La Caron is a slightly softer hand to their 16-ounce fabric. Their 13-ounce is a little bit harder hand, but the 16-ounce is 
a little bit spongier, a little bit hairier than the others. And, like, minuscule. Not, like, so much that you have to, like, shave it. Um, House of Edgar's is a much harder, more densely kind of woven fabric. Mm -hmm. So, to me, House of Edgar's is, even in 13 ounce, it's a little bit easier to sew because it doesn't stretch and skew much. Um, Martin Mills, I find that same way. Um... The others, not that they skew all that much, but like we're talking degrees, like two or three degrees of separation, nothing major. Um, so House of Edgar's is fine to sew, but you're, both of you are spot on. It is much more difficult to iron. We don't use the big clamshell thing that some companies use. We actually hand iron each of the pleats to make sure we are like minuscule adjusting, you know, a couple threads here and there just to make sure we're ironing in an exact straight line. Um, so we're having to put a little bit more pressure on the iron as we're actually ironing the cloth. Um, like we said, La Caron's cloth is a dream to iron. Oh, like you hold the breeze. iron near it, it gets scared and it creases. <laughs> um, the uh, Martin Mills is kind of the same way. Dog Leash is very easy to iron mm -hmm. um, and it's reasonably easy to sew. I know some kilt makers really prefer their cloth. Mm, it's, it's good, it's not my favorite. Um, and it is a good bit more expensive than other kilts or than other uh, mm -hmm. mills. So I'm kind of cost conscious about that kind of stuff a little bit as well. Um, ultimately, I kind of usually end up with um, either Martin Mills or some of House Martin Mills for myself for cost reasons as well as ease of sewing and ease of ironing as the average. Um, House of Edgar has a wonderful, beautiful muted range. Um, if I'm going for an 8-yard kilt, I prefer 13-ounce to a degree. If I'm only doing a 5-yard kilt for myself, I'd prefer 16. So at that point, I'd probably do uh, Martin Mills cloth or La Caron with, you know, with, the, with the tartan itself being equal. Um, and, you know, yeah, La Caron has the, the beautiful um, uh, weathered range that I really dig on, on, on when I'm in a particular mood. Um, and, yeah, Strathmore's. Again, it's, it's, it's a nice, easy iron I'm not as keen on their ancients, eh, a little bit, and I'm, but it's it's still a good cloth to work with. Mm -hmm. So, ultimately, all of them will be fine. Um, my personal preference for the average of those things is probably Martin Mills as well, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, as you said, it's the working with, and we're we're going. We work with them every day, so the the fine fine details that we're discussing are very little. It's just, it's it comes down to your preference, and really, first thing is just color. It's just looking at that color, and then yeah. narrowing it down from there. It, it they're all, as as Rocky said, they're all they're all great. It's just a matter of your preference and what you. Yeah, slightly color. greater or slightly less great, but ultimately. The, the the vast, far superior, uh, uh, you know, variable is the actual tartan itself. It's the color of the tartan itself, and does it speak to you? Does it speak to me? Does it speak to Mac? Um, do you like the tartan? And then don't worry about the mill. They each have their own idiosyncrasies. A a card, a car from Chevy, and a car from Ford, and a car from Dodge are all going to get you from point A to point B if it's a brand new car. Don't talk about you know. Found on road dead, or you know, the that kind of thing. yeah. We're not going to get into that, but the you know they will get you from point A to point B. All of them will. It'll be fine. It really boils down to the small intricacies from one manufacturer to the other one. Yeah, agreed. Okay, I think that's about a good place to end it. My question of the day 
for you guys. What is your nightmare scenario for a kilt outfit? In the comments, leave what your worst horrible kilt outfit it is. If you have any skills in Photoshop or have horrible parts of an outfit that you want to show <laughs> off in the comments, put on your own outfit, make the worst outfit you can make, either Photoshopped or put it on, take a picture, leave it in the comments. Very good. Until next time, boys and girls, Slanjava. Thanks for joining us, guys. Our podcast theme song is Gold and Guns by the Kilmaine Saints. If you have a question for us, you can ask it during our YouTube live stream the first Friday of every month at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. If you want to get social with other kilt enthusiasts, go check out the Kilts and Culture group over on Facebook. You can also find USA Kilts on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or over at our website, usakilts.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, Slanjava.